Well, welcome to Auckland EV. My name's Rowan, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you could join us from your lounge rooms as we're in this lockdown here in Auckland. If you knew the world was ending by Christmas, what would you do with the time? Would you live it up and chase experiences and fill life with as much as possible? Or maybe just retreat? You know, what's the point? I'll just sit here and wait. Well, here we are in Auckland uh, in a lockdown. It's hard to think what we can do if we had that sort of time. But why don't you just spend a second asking those that you're gathered with in your lounge room right now, or, or maybe just ponder for yourself for a moment. If you knew the world was ending by Christmas, what would you do with the time? Let me give you a second to think about that. Well, hopefully you've had a second to chat about that with the people there. But let me ask you, was there any different? Were there different kind of views in the lounge room, different thoughts that came to your mind? Would bringing the end of all things more closely into focus change how you live? Your answer to that question depends on your view of the end. It's what theologians call eschatology, the study of the eschaton, the last days, the end. And I want to put it to you today that your view of the end dramatically changes your actions in the present. We've been working our way through an ancient letter written by one of the closest friends of Jesus of Nazareth. But the letter of 1 Peter is more than just a history lesson. It's a look into the future. He's already spoken of an inheritance for those who trust in Jesus that will never perish, spoil or fade that are kept in heaven for you. And today we get to see the, the closeness of that reality and how it affects the present. In 1 Peter 4 verse 7, it says this, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded. Do you hear that? The end of all things is near. I kind of get these visuals of these unkempt men with hair standing with one of those sandwich boards over them. The end is nigh, you know, those types of people. That's the kind of picture I hear when I hear the end of all things is near. And there's a bit where I go, oh, I haven't really seen that much around in real life. You see it in the movies. But is that what's going on here? Is Peter, Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, some kind of unkempt wacko who's lost the plot, going around saying the end of all things is near? Or is there a clarity of mind here that so many of us miss? I mean, how many of us woke up this morning going, this could be it. Today could be the end of the world. That's not normally a thought that we have. But Peter had seen the life and events of Jesus of Nazareth. Events so significant, they, they changed the world. They'd seen his healings, his, his miracles, raising the dead. He'd seen his gruesome death and his resurrection three days later. And Peter was convinced that Jesus was God the Son. He's God's promised King. And that Peter has taken Jesus at his word that Jesus is coming back again. Listen to Jesus' own words that are recorded for us in Matthew 24. Therefore be alert, Jesus says, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had, had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, either Jesus was loopy as well here, or he was lying, or he really was who he says he was, the Lord. And his action points him out to be one that's far more than a loopy liar. So here, Peter, as he writes to people who've trusted in Jesus, who are convinced that he is God the Son, is writing them to say, live with clear-minded thinking. Live with clear-minded thinking. Be alert. Be sober-minded. 
Now here, this word for being alert and sober of mind, it's the same word Jesus uses in Mark 5 and Luke 8 of a man who was demon possessed. We're told night and day he was among the tombs and in the hills and would cry out to himself and cut himself with stones. But when Jesus' power came upon him, he healed him. We're told the people found him seated, clothed and and clear-minded. Do you hear that? Clear-minded. It's the same word that Peter is using here. It's a coming to your senses, a kind of a, you know, snapping out of it and seeing the reality of life rather than the delusion. The reality that the end will come. In Peter's time, much like today, the nations around him were into all sorts of delusions, worshipping the gods of fertility, the gods of fermented hops and grapes, all sorts of sexual pleasure. Peter says this, 1 Peter 4 verse 3, For there's already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles chose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. But the clear-minded person recognizes that we ought not to live for ourselves, but for the God who made us. In 1 Peter 4 verse 2, he says this, Live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. See, Clear-minded living looks to the will of God, not man. It recognizes that the end is in view and that God is in control and that we'll listen to God's will, not man's will. The free and fun lifestyle of sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, the lifestyle focused simply on ourselves, anyone but God, won't end well for anyone. Look at uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 5. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. See, Peter's view of the future shapes how we act in the present. All people will have to give an account of of how we've lived and how we've treated God and who we've placed at the center of our lives. Have we lived for our human desires or for the will of the God who made us? See, clear-minded living also looks to the judgment of God. Helps us to realize that there is an end and God will judge. Now, it's easy to go, yeah, but that's so far away. You know, why does it matter? Jesus lived and died so long ago. At this end that he's speaking of, it's not coming. And there's a sense where you're thinking, well, Peter wrote this somewhere around 60 to 65 AD. And, you know, the end hadn't come. Well, it's been, what, 1900, 2000 years, close to. And the end hasn't come yet. Had Peter lost it? Well, people even then were asking that question. Because... As you look at the world around us, it's easy to go, look, there's no difference between um, the end of the one who trusts Jesus and the end of the one who doesn't. The last 2,000 years of history have shown us that if you trust Jesus or not, you're still going to die. But Peter wants us to think clearly about this because death is not our end. If there's more to this life, if, if Jesus is coming back and will judge all we do and say, then to live as if this life is all there is, is kind of, it's deranged, it's foggy thinking and results in a distorted view of the world. The reality is there is an end of all things and that we're to live in light of the one who will bring that end, God, in line with his will, not like the world around us. We're to live in light of the judgment that will come at the end. Peter says in in verse 6, For this reason the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. In other words, what Peter's saying here is that those who live for Jesus in this life, those who suffer jeers and ridicule for living a life beyond death, for, for saying that there is more than just this life, 
For those people, well, it looked like death was their end, like everyone else's. The story's not over yet. When Jesus comes back, like him, they'll be raised from the dead and found forgiven, not because of their perfect actions, but because they trusted Jesus. Now, clear-minded living looks like listening to the gospel, listening to the news of Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection. One of my favorite scenes uh, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe is where Aslan the Lion willingly lays down and allows the witch to kill him. There's this moment where she looks at Aslan dead and she's so proud of herself. She's, she's made the right call. You know, her life's work of rebellion was, was worth it. But as the sun dawns the next day, she hears an almighty roar. Death is not Aslan's end. In Aslan's own words to Susan, he says, though the witch knew the deep magic, there was a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But she could have looked a little further. To those who do not look further than this life, those who live as though this life is all there is, they will hear a judgment far worse than the roar of a risen lion, but the risen Lord Jesus. But those who trust in him, even though they might see death now, even though it looks like there was no huge difference, because they trusted in Jesus' death in their place, just like Jesus rose from the dead, they too will rise and enter into an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. Now, clear-minded living looks like holding on to the truth of the gospel. And it does that despite the jeerings of the world. Look at verse 4. They are surprised, that's the world around, that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. See, for those who trust in Jesus... This is to be our expectation, a world that doesn't understand, that doesn't see clearly, like the witch that had not looked back further into what Jesus had done and the promises God had made, nor into the future that Jesus promises. You see, the world will look at people who are living for a life to come strangely. Why do you think there's more life beyond death? That's why the world around us is so happy with euthanasia and and abortion, because we think, well, this life is all there is and there's nothing more. There's no consequences. This is it. But the decisions we make with our time and where we invest our resources and what we join in with on the work WhatsApp group or, or chat about with friends at the school gate or after class, all those things are a temptation for us to fit in with the world around us and have that same viewpoint that this is it. Have you felt that? The temptation to, to fit in, to go with the flow, it's so strong. For some of us, we, we haven't felt those strange looks when we, we live differently because we give in too soon. We, we go with the flow too often. Others of us are, are tired of the jeers. We're tired of trying to hold out the same thing. And so, you know, we kind of give up. We're tired of holding to a view others disagree with. So we just, oh, we, we stop. But Peter is saying, think with a clear mind. Don't. Don't join in, you who trust in Jesus, who know what your future is, who've seen your sins forgiven with the one who died in your place. Don't join the world around us in what they live for. Don't give in and don't go with the current. You know, even a dead dog can float with the current. No, be clear-minded in your living. Remember that Jesus suffering in your place, remember that. Remember the reality of the judgment to come. Remember that we exist to live for the will of God, not our human desires. Clear-minded living chooses 
how we respond, how we are to respond to these things. See, our, our human desires and cravings, they don't need to get the upper hand. Persecution and jeering, well, it doesn't need to wear us down. But as you fix your eyes on the past of what Jesus has done and the future that he promises, you can choose how to respond. You know that, right? We can choose how we respond to a world around us. Psychologists have shown that people under the same circumstances who experience the same phenomenon can all respond differently. Like you could get three people and tell each of them uh, independently, but in the same circumstances, that they are lazy. And they'll all respond differently. You know, one, one might get depressed, another one might get angry, and there might be another one that responds with thankfulness. But why is that? Why, when the circumstances are the same, do people respond differently? Well, the reason is that we're not victims of external circumstance. We're victims of what we tell ourselves. We're victims of our internal grid. So the person who gets depressed uh, when they hear that someone says, well, you're lazy, they hear that comment as, as the final nail in the coffin. They might have heard people call them lazy their whole lives. Maybe their mum called them lazy and then they think, I can't change. So they give up. There's, there's no hope. It's that internal grid that filters the response and so they get depressed. Or, or the person who gets angry. Uh, that person might be building their identity of themselves on needing to be good enough, at least for their own internal measure, right? Uh, the person who says that, uh, they're not good enough, is threatening their greed. And how dare you say I'm lazy? I'm not lazy. You should see this person or that person. And who do you think you are calling me lazy, right? They get all angry and built up because, well, their whole world depends on them being able to do things the way they think they ought. And this is a kind of a push against it. And so it's their greed that means they respond that way. A person who's thankful for the comment about being lazy, why would they respond with thankfulness? Well, that person might say something like, well, you know what? Sometimes I've been lazy. I used to be lazy, but I've really been working at changing. And when you say I'm lazy, I know you're drawing on information that was a bit old and, and, and I've worked really hard to try and change it. I don't need to feel bad about it because I think you're actually right. And actually, I'm thankful that you pointed that out because it's something I'm trying to work on. I'm going to keep working on it. It gives me an opportunity to keep going forward. What I'm trying to show here is that our reactions come as a result of our internal grid, the way we view ourselves and the world. And clear-minded thinking, thinking that's shaped by the scriptures, is so freeing. See, I don't need to get every little drop of life now if something doesn't happen my way. It's not like I need to suck it out of life because I've got an eternity coming, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. I don't need to stand on my rights and cry out for perfect justice now. Because Jesus will bring justice when he returns and he'll do it better than I ever could. I don't need to fit in with the world around me and the things that it does are not actually that good for me. I don't need to go with that because I've been shown God's word and will through the scriptures. Now, clear-minded thinking sees the world through a grid of God's word and a timeline of eternity. We just have to spend time dwelling on it. To, to wake up, sober our minds on what really matters and to shape our lives on the word of God. That's exactly what Peter is saying to these readers in 1 Peter and to us today. The end of all things is near. Wake up, be alert, let your grid and your view of the world be shaped by God's word. There's a helpful little tool that I sometimes use as you come to the word of God, as you read the word of God, 
as you think about what God is lifting your eyes to see, his view, that eternal view, it might be a good thing to ask, how is God helping me as I read his word to be clear-minded today? What wrong thoughts and emotions and actions will I have today if I forget what God is saying here? It's not the suffering or the worldly pressures that cause us to give in or give up, but our failing to allow the word of God to help us to think with a clear mind and to focus our hearts and minds on what God has done and what he will do in Jesus. Peter is saying to those who trust Jesus, you've spent enough time living like the world around you. Whether that's been a little or a lot, any amount of living in the world is enough. Now you've seen what Jesus has done and that the end is about to come. Shape your lives with clear-minded living. And the first thing he points us to do positively as we think about what to do is pray. Have a look at verse 7. The end of all things is near, says Peter. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Now, as you think back to the question I asked at the start of this talk, you know, what would you do if the world was ending by Christmas? How many of you said prayer? You know, you know what you said to one another in the room. All of my answers are thinking what I would do if, if I knew that the end were coming by Christmas would be about what I could do, I'd achieve. I'd go and see as many friends as I could and family and I'd talk to them about Jesus and I'd, I'd try to enjoy the time we had with family and help people to keep staying, trusting in Jesus till he returned. But so often when we think about this timing that the end of all things is near, we jump into what we need to do. But what we need is to depend. Not do, but depend. So the realisation that God is bringing history to a close should provoke us even more to depend on him. I mean, what, what could we do on our own? We can't do anything on our own strength. Now, it's easy if you've been a Christian for a while to go, I know, I know, prayer is important. But sometimes we just don't get how important. Peter says it's the first thing that someone with a clear mind, someone who understands what Jesus has done and where future is going, that's the first thing they do is they depend on God in prayer. God loves us to come to him. It seems that sometimes he even limits his action in the world to the extent of our prayers. In James 2, James says, don't, you don't have because you don't ask. Now that can't mean if you don't ask, I'll give it to you anyway. God is limiting what's going on in the world dependent on some of our prayers. Now it's not that he needs us to pray to do it. Do you see how important prayer is of depending on the God who is in control? It's an area that I personally need to grow in. I think I'm, I'm okay with the quick in the moment prayers and praying for someone on the spot. But wider prayers, praying for biblical priorities, bringing before God my plans for the day, it's just not been something I've been in the habit of doing. And this passage prompts me to go, Rowan, the end of all things is near. Think with a clear and sober mind and so depend on God. Bring your plans and requests and desires in line with God's will to him in prayer. The God who made us, he longs to listen to us. He longs to answer our prayers in line with his will with a yes. So the clear-minded person first prays. How are you going at praying? How are you going at praying for those who don't yet know Jesus? God is saying, talk to me, tell me, bring this up with me. How are you going praying for your kids or your classmates or, 
or those that you work alongside or how, how are you going at praying for the big things we as a church have committed to, like the, the big four big prayers in our 2030 vision, asking God to grow us to 2,000 people by the year 2030, to plant four local congregations and four regional congregations, to train 30 workers, to, to provide us with a building. I've heard John Piper say that social media exists for the sole purpose of proving on the last day that all of us had enough time to pray. <laughs> so I thought, why not start a habit that as you go onto social media, as you start to look at social media, pray before you post, speak before you scroll, speak to God that is, not to someone else. Have a little a memory hook there that as you go to look at something, a Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, that you think, hang on a minute, I, I could actually come to my God and pray about what matters and use that as a, as a memory hook to encourage you because the end of all things is near, says Peter. Therefore, pray. Secondly, the, the clear-minded person loves. Look at verse 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. See, if we've been loved by Jesus, the righteous one who died for the unrighteous, how can we not love others? I mean, what could anyone have done that is worse than what we have done to God? Yet he still died for us. See, loving others means welcoming others as they are. Jesus doesn't say, you know, clean yourselves up, then I'll come die for you. He loves us in our brokenness as we are. Selfish, sinful, rebellious, terrorist toward God. Yet God lavishes his love on us. <laughs> Jesus dies in our place. He takes the penalty for us while we are still sinners. See, when we lavish love on others, we're acting like Jesus. And what Peter is telling us here is that is actually part of this clear-minded living. See, it's funny, when we lavish love on others, how quickly the sins and offenses of others are overlooked. Now, Peter's not saying here, if you just go rob someone's car uh, and then you, you can make up for it by loving them a little bit more. No, it's just that love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love's not about what I can get, but what I can give. Now, as you think through trying to love people like that, well, what emotions come up for you? As you kind of think about how can I love people in church and in the world around like that, not caring about um them loving us, but us loving them. Well, I know for me, all sorts of emotions come up. You know, uh, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not a people person. They're a people person. Why do I have to love people like that? Or, or for you, maybe I've been badly hurt before. Or, or that, you know, no one ever reciprocates. Why should I love when no one invites me around? No one talks to me. All, all those things, they're actually probably true. But the clear-minded person is able to respond to those feelings by looking to Jesus. Not needing to live life for my gain, but able to love others because we've already been given Jesus' gain. Being part of a community of broken and sinful people gives us plenty of opportunity for all sorts of bad behavior. You know, jealousy, anger, cycles of evil, deceit, hypocrisy, gossip. There's all those opportunities there, but... Clear-minded living has no room for any of that, none. Now, I'm thankful for the most part that we as a church really have got a great amount of love. I see people loving and caring for people. I see people bringing up issues they have with one another, and that's fantastic. 
But we need to prayerfully ask that God would keep growing that in us. Peter here describes love in a way that we're probably not used to. He says to be hospitable. Now that word hospitality is is literally the love of strangers. The new person at church, the, the loner, the person who's polar opposite personality type to me, the one with a funny smell or the person with a different view. We're to love, welcome, work hard to show that we're living for someone else that it is not ourselves. That's what it is to love the stranger. As we come to church each week, as we go to connect group, as we, as we think through others in our group, it'd be a great thing to do each day to be praying and asking God to help us that in, in light of the end, with our clear-minded thinking, we might be able to love the stranger, look for opportunities to invite those uh, at church around Uh, particularly the Christian as well as the non-Christian, but we're going to be spending an eternity with one another. Now you might go, well, that's long enough. I don't need to spend time now. That's not what Peter says. Look for the stranger. Pray and ask God to help you to look out for them and to care for them, to invite them back to your place for dinner, to go out for lunch, to to put on a a soup and then have some people round and plan to have some people round after church on each Sunday or, or, or invite them out for dinner and hang out together. One of the things that churches are renowned for are little cliques, little groups that are inside the church where everyone kind of is just in this little one where they know one another and it's really hard to get in. The only cliques that should be in a church are the ones that your fingers make as you sing to the music, right? No cliques with people. We shouldn't be people that are thinking about exclusive groups, but that we love the stranger. And God grows us in that as we seek to love others in it. We actually need to be in one another's lives. That's why our connect groups work hard at going on a weekend away together. Now, I know some of you don't like that, but they're fantastic for growing in love for one another. That's why people invite people around for lunch after church or out for dinner um, at uni church. Hospitality is not about lavish food, but lavishing love on others. It's about relationship. Not about lavish food, but lavishing love on others. Relationship. A clear-minded thinking transforms us into people who love. But not only does it do that, it also, and thirdly, motivates us to serve. Clear-minded thinking motivates us to serve. Look at verse 10. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Clear-minded thinking looks at who God made us. And it helps us to recognize that I'm like this, not for for my sake, not for my purpose, but for the good of others and for God's glory. Peter says that the gifts, the, the resources and time and talent we have, they're not actually ours. We're stewards. We've been entrusted with the skills and gifts and abilities and resources and time and talent that we have. That's been entrusted to us by God. It's a gift from God to use as he desires in the way that we have been made. Sometimes we can get frustrated that I don't have the gifts of that person and I can't do the things that that person can do. And sure, there's plenty of room to grow and God's given us the capacity to grow and learn. But he's made us who we are and we should celebrate God's wisdom in that and think through how we can use who he's made us, praying that God will shape us to serve his people and his glory as much as we can so that we can serve others. We can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking, you know, 
I, I come to church and I serve to get fulfillment out of what I do. I really love doing this particular thing. But we don't serve to get built up ourselves. We serve for the good of others, to see them come to know Jesus and see people standing firm in Jesus. Right? We're not called to serve with skills that we don't have either or, or, or skills that we can't learn. No, God made you the way he did for his glory. And he delights to work in and through you. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. If it's speaking that that you have got skills to speak, then speak. If it's serving in some other ways, then serve. The whole point is to use who God has made you to love others for their good and for God's glory. One of our five core purposes as a church that we have here at EV is what we call the ministry purpose. Uh, Through ministry, we aim to really help people to identify, equip and unleash you with uh, the skills and gifts that that God's given you to be able to serve God's people. Again, so many of us in church are doing exactly this. The pack up and set up team get up some mornings. Um, every morning we can actually meet in person. And they're at my place at 7.30 with a van. And, and there's people setting up and there's welcomers that come early. There's people writing studies throughout the week. There's daily Bible reading, prayers, um, people who are um, writing prayers for our Echo app. There's people looking at finances. There's people willing to move to new campuses for the gospel. There's people turning up at Connect Group in church. There's people serving in their communities outside of church and people serving in their workplace to be able to see the gospel go out. It's so encouraging to see that God has brought us all together with different skills and abilities and gifts. And it's great to see the way that we work together as a church. But I also need to say that that some of us here aren't serving in any way and you're missing out. Now, I know there's different stages of life and different ups and downs that we go through, but here God is saying that we live in these days, given that the end is near, um, to love and to serve. And we need to work out how we can do that with what God has given us. That includes the energy he's given us. And sometimes there ain't much energy. As we've gone to start the, the North Shore campus, I've heard of lots of opportunities, both at Uni Church and Morning Church and at the campus. New, new teams need help. I heard of one leader who called 90 people trying to see some more people step into a role. I mean, that's a lot. And as a church, there are, there are lots of different ways we can be serving and huge needs that we have and opportunities for you to steward what God has given you for his glory. So we've made a list of some of the top needs of church. Uh, after this, this talk, we'd love you to go to home.orkonev.co.nz and click serving opportunities. And you'll see there, there's, there's a heap of different things with um, small descriptions. Really, you can show an expression of interest in those areas. It'd be great to come along and find out more and be like, hey, Is this something God's given me the capacity to learn, uh, to grow in and and to learn new skills for? You're not signing up for them. You're just offering an expression of interest. I want to really encourage you. Check that out after the service. Chat with the people that you're with about what do you think uh, gifts you could be able to do and read them out and laugh about it if you want. One simple way that we can can serve is really by joining a connect group and and, and serving the people that are there. That's, That's a key role. We'd love everyone in church to be doing. Um, if you haven't joined a connect group yet and love you to come to newish and then we can help you get connected uh, into a connect group. Um, but if you're a Christian at EV, another simple way that you can be serving is with your finances. And I think finances is one way that we can automate godliness. 
Like, you can set up a direct deposit and, and, it, and you can think about it and pray about it and then it goes in each week or each month and it's done. I mean, imagine if you could do that with your prayer life or with loving others. But here's one area that we can. One of the great things is that 65% of, of our regular people at church give financially to the ministry of EV. Like, that's awesome. It really is great. But I'm actually sad that the 35% of us don't give it all. And if that's you, I want to encourage you today as we look at this clear-minded thinking that, that Peter lines out for us to start giving. God never asks us to give more than what he has given us. And so it's my encouragement to think through, hey, how, how can you give with what you have? Um, think through what, what that would be like and, and jump onto our website. You can find it on the Opportunities to Serve page or you can go to um, aucklandev.co.nz forward slash give. And see there how you can sign up and think through doing that. Um, sign up for a giving number and think through doing that and starting to give. Now, as you give, the pastors at EV, we don't get more money. <laughs> we don't want more money. We're freed up to be able to do this role. What we're able to do is to see uh, us as a church reach more people. Uh, we need to put on two new staff at the moment, someone to look after maturity and someone uh, to look after mission. Uh, we're, we're trying to buy a building or lease a building. We're trying to plant a new campus. There's a huge amount of funds that we need to be able to, to, to grow here. And we don't want to see people kind of going, ah, oh, I just want us to give and give and give more. No, no. I want you to have this clear-minded thinking that sees what we've been given by God already and us as stewards of that, working out how we use it for others' good and for His glory. That is such a great joy. But it's only clear-minded thinking that will help us to live like that. Because in the end... All that we're about here, all that you and I exist for is God's glory. Not my glory, not yours, but God's. That more people might know him and that more people will be standing firm in him the day that Jesus comes back. And as we do that, the world around us will see that we're not living for ourselves, but for God, that we're truly worshipping him. That's why we exist. See, if you knew the world was going to end by a Christmas... How would you change the way you live? Clear-minded living depends on God in prayer. Clear-minded living transforms us into people who love. And clear-minded living motivates us to serve for others' good and the glory of God. So when you join with me now and ask that God would keep shaping the way we view the world through his word, that we might live clear-minded lives despite the jeering and suffering that we go through, despite the ups and downs, despite the injustices of the world, that we can stand up as people who've been saved by Christ and sent as missionaries and servants into the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so, so thankful that you've given us your word and you've given us a glimpse into the future so that we might be able to see clearly that which otherwise we would not have known. We would not have known you and we would not have known life after death. So we are so thankful for Jesus who loved us while we were still sinners. And we ask that today for those of us who don't yet trust you, that you would draw us to yourself. You'd help us to put our lives in your hands. And Lord, for those that do trust you, wake us from any areas of slumber. Help us to put Jesus first in all that we do. Help us to prayerfully depend on you in, in everything and, and to love others 
with the gifts and skills and abilities you've given us. Help us to serve for others' good and for your glory so that more and more people might be standing firm in Christ on that last day. Lord, there are so many opportunities to serve and so many people that are serving. Help us to celebrate your work amongst us, to stand alongside one another and to be standing firm in Jesus on that last day when when he returns, faithfully living for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.